With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any hosts or guests' individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. My name is Dr. Richard Selznick, and I want to welcome you to School Struggles. I am proud to be a part of the Coffee Clutch team, and on School Struggles, we talk about a range of topics, including learning disabilities, dyslexia, special education, ADHD, and a whole host of other interesting topics that affect you and your child. I am a child psychologist and the director of the Cooper Learning Center, which is a part of the Department of Pediatrics, Cooper University Healthcare. We're located in Voorhees, New Jersey, South Jersey, near Philadelphia. I'm the author of two books, both published by Sentient Publications. The first one is The Shutdown Learner, Helping Your Academically Discouraged Child, and the more recently published book called School Struggles. And you can learn more about these at my website, which is www.shutdownlearner.com. And tonight I have... I'm excited to have a guest on. Her name is Susan Zimmerman. Susan is an internationally known speaker and consultant. She's a co-author of Mosaic of Thought, Seven Keys to Comprehension, and Comprehension Going Forward, books that are changing the way reading is taught in classrooms throughout America. Susan co-founded and served as the executive director of the Denver-based Public Education and Business Coalition, an organization that has spearheaded groundbreaking work in reading comprehension. Currently a full-time speaker, writer, and education consultant, Susan has given hundreds of workshops, keynotes, and summer institutes in nearly every state in the United States, throughout Canada, Mexico, the Philippines, Romania, Vietnam, Indonesia, Japan, Malaysia, and South Korea on ways to deepen reading and writing experiences for adults and children. So, Susan, welcome to our show. It's great to be here. I am excited for a number of reasons. I met Susan, even though she kind of vaguely remembers me, but I, I met her a number of years ago when she presented in South Jersey, and I was just in the audience 
Um, I was a fan back then of her book, The Seven Keys to Comprehension, How to Help Your Kids Read It and Get It. And she did a great workshop. So um, it's a kind of book that really speaks to parents. It's very down-to-earth, which is the mission of this show and almost everything that I do professionally. So it's a, it's a great fit. So, you know, just having you on is, is I'm honored. Well, thank you. So let's start with just as, you know we I try to make this show as jargon free as possible, and I know that the word comprehension is really not jargon, but what what is comprehension? How would you just to the layperson define it? What what, what is it? Well, in a nutshell, when we read, we make meaning. And if you're making meaning as you read, most likely you're comprehending. So it's not just um, deciphering or word calling or doing the phonics piece. You have to do that piece, but you have to make sense of it as you read. And if you're doing that, good chance that you're understanding what you read, and that's really what we want for our children. So, the, so you know, I, I have... The ultimate, in a sense, I tend to think of it like a pyramid, and at the lower end of the pyramid are skills like phonics, oral, you know, decoding, fluency, mm-hmm. phonemic mm-hmm. awareness. But at the, as you're mm-hmm. moving up the pyramid, that's when you're sort of getting to that, that which you're talking about. Right, and you need the others. It's not that you don't need phonics. Of course you do. They sort of are how you crack the code in a way. But if you're just reading the words without realizing that you should be making sense of them as you read, and I think for children a lot of times they see it as a puzzle and they've had a lot of focus on phonics. So once they realize that they they know the the they have a phonics breakthrough that's a good thing but it's not enough and so what i always say is you've got to have all of these things working together to get to the point of comprehension right it's a lot of i think of it as a it's a phrase i've been using a lot lately a lot of movable parts isn't it mhm mhm mm-hmm. all working together that's now right. one of the things i you know i've been testing kids for many years <clears throat> excuse me and um, you know, as a psychologist, I've specialized in the process, in the reading process, in re- reading disabilities, learning disabilities, mm-hmm. and I've really struggled with this question, which I'm going to ask. I, and I, having read your book, I can anticipate the answer, but I still struggle with it. And I wonder, when we deal with this at my center, can comprehension really be taught? And in your book, you say, for um, this is a quote, you say, for years, common wisdom was comprehension was caught not taught, and you were kind of countering that view in the book. So can you elaborate on that? Very much so, and that really is what the seven keys to comprehension um, give to parents, to teachers, to whomever is trying to teach a child to understand when they read, because what these comprehension strategies do, they look at what goes on in the brain when you read. And so rather than looking at um, why a child cannot understand, the comprehension strategies are saying, okay, what do good readers do when they read? And they um, they use their background knowledge, so they're connecting to 
things that they've seen on television, conversations they've had, other things that they've read. They make mental images. They have a, a movie going in their brain. They ask questions. It's very interactive. So, yes, definitely you can teach children that there are certain things that they need to be doing when they read, and you can do it in an, in an explicit way. And I think for children who are struggling readers, this becomes particularly helpful because often they really don't know what it is that they're not doing. And so if you say, let's um, think about what you're wondering about when you read. Think about what do you see, hear, smell, feel, taste, you know, when you read a passage. Um, then it starts coming alive for them. Yeah, you know, I, I would really echo that and second that um, I when I came up through the ranks, a lot of what they were talking about were things like what you would probably be quite familiar with, directed reading activities where, mm -hmm. you know, you, the, you would read some of a text and encourage, well, what do you think is going to happen next? Mm -hmm. You know, what do you predict? What do you, what's mm -hmm. your view? And you're really mm -hmm. pushing mm -hmm. in that kind of process for the child to come up with, based on the text, Mm -hmm. uh, some kind of reasonable answer to that question. And, of course, when they would answer wildly, you would have to bring them back to the text, I, I believe. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And I think um, children are really smart. And children who are struggling with a learning disability, that doesn't mean that they're not very smart. And so if you can get them to really activate their thinking when they read and give them the confidence that, um, I want to hear what you have to say. You know, part of it is that confidence building. What What do you really have questions about when you read this? Um, then they start building their ability to do it across the board when they read, not just when there's an adult there to support them. So be, before, I know there was an explosion of research on comprehension um, in the 90s, that was with the, mm -hmm. in some ways the mm -hmm. decade of comprehension research. Mm -hmm. It was great mm -hmm. stuff. It was really wonderful mm -hmm. research back then. Right. But I think before that period of time, there was a, the old view of comprehension was something like the book was on your lap or in front of you, and it was a one-directional process. There was material mm -hmm. on the page, and it went when you were, quote, comprehending, it went from the book into your brain, and that was the one direction. Whereas mm -hmm. the, the research, which I think is exactly what you're talking about, is that it's a much more interactive process than people in the old days seem to understand. Well, and I think um, what I would say about that, Richard, is that in the old days, when you and I were in school, uh, these <laughs> those old days, that's what we're talking yes, about. That long those ago, old days, right. exactly. Um, right. Weren't, weren't they weren't articulated, but good readers, the good readers, were using them. And if they had stopped and really thought about what they were doing, they would have been using these seven keys. And our work is based on a body of research called the Proficient Reader Research that looked at what do great readers do. And so if we know what great readers do – in their minds, in their brains, cognitively, when they read, then let's take those things and let's teach that to our children. So they become really 
uh, tools in their toolbox that they can pull out and use when they're reading. And for parents, one of the things that I think is so important is having it be joyful with their child and not feel the pressures. There's so much pressure on children these days around reading. The parents, what I hope, what I would um, really wish for you and your child is that you go into it, it's it's cozy, it's it's happy, it's joyful, you're reading, you're talking about what you're reading, you're telling stories. That's what you want to see. That's the parent, how the parent can help their child so much here. Great stuff. Uh, you know, so many questions come to mind, and I want to get to the seven keys. You know, you're <laughs> you're activating my schema. See, you're 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 you know you're bringing up my own background of experience as you're talking. I'm like, hmm, should I ask that question or should I ask another question? You know, it's it's happening, Susan. See, it's like it's happening. I mean, one question I have just on what you just said, because again, I deal with all kinds of range. It struck me that what you just said is more of a function of like. I had an image in my mind of a six-year-old being mm-hmm. snuggled into the reading process. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. when my kid was 14 and 15, mm-hmm. yeah, he liked to still be mm-hmm. read to, sort mm-hmm. of, but he wasn't snuggling mm-hmm. in as much. As, right. You know, so how, what about the older kids with, with well, what you just Well, I think you, you do. It, it does have to be age-appropriate. And I think um, with your older student, if you can find something that's really high interest, that's what you need to do. If they love cars, if they love computers, uh, if if they love soccer, it, whatever it is that they love as the parent, try to bring in, if it's a magazine, if it, it's a an article, if it's a book, if it's something in the newspaper that you've read, bring that into the child. Go to the library. I mean, libraries are so wonderful these days, and there are all sorts of uh, resources in a library, including lots of digital things that appeal to kids a lot today. But I'd say where you can, you know, start with where your child is and figure out, okay, what can I do that's going to spark that enthusiasm? Yeah, and I, I'm, I know I'm, it's easier said than done. No, it really is, and, I, and it makes me think mm-hmm. about the, t- the, you know, because I and I don't want. I, it's so easy to go in this direction because it's one that I'm. I'm I, I see all the time what I call, I mentioned in my second in school struggles, I mentioned what I called jokingly somewhat boy, BRDD, boy reading deficit disorder. Mm-hmm. You know, that there's this boy, re, you know, that there's a boy malaise going on out there. And that I think what you just said is exactly on the money, but I also find personally and professionally that there are still so many forces at work that counter that so that my son, when he was 10, 11, 12, let's, 10, let's say 10, you know, he had a lot of interest, golf, sports. And I would say, well, why don't we read about, you know, Jack Nicholas? You love golf. Let's well, I'd rather not. That's okay. I'll go watch it on mm-hmm. YouTube. I'm like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. really? Mm-hmm. How, you know, and I would try to find those things that would mm-hmm. really capture his interest. But I think there, that there are other forces that undermine it. Not that I'm, not that I'm right, down to no, what you're saying. There's a lot of competition for children's time in this day and age, mm-hmm. no question about that. And and I guess what I've seen over the years is that kids can awaken to reading at very different mm-hmm. times. I mean, you hope that they awaken early because then the whole education process is much 
um, smoother for them. But it might be that they're a senior in high school when the right thing gets into their hands and they say, wow, this is great, I'm hooked. Yeah. And you just you just want, you wish above all things that that's going to happen for your child at some point. And I think as a parent, you just want to be making things available as much as you can and being aware that truly having conversations with your child, telling stories, things like that are building the foundation of language and understanding that then is applied when they read. So there are a lot of things that parents can do that aren't direct reading, truly telling stories about when you were a kid. Um, You know, I'm not saying your 14-year-old wants to hear about everything you did when you were a kid, but... Usually that's a way to to have a hook to bring them in. Yeah, great point. So so walk us through a little bit. Let's go through the seven keys. Um, you know, you have very, I, again, I want to echo what I said at the beginning, that these are very parent-friendly strategies that you're weaving throughout the book. There are lots of nuggets of, you know, try this and little things that can be done. So what, let's start with, the, you know, key number one. Okay. Well, they really aren't in any specific order, but let's start with background knowledge. So throughout our lives, we build our background knowledge. It's very, very important. That is the accumulation of all that you've read, seen, experienced. It's your whole life. And when I think about background knowledge and think about a child, they're, they're continually learning, 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 but they're starting with a lot less background knowledge than than an adult, most likely. And for an adult, I think if, if you picked up a thick medical text, now you've got a, a PhD and you're a psychologist, so this might not be true for you, but let's say you're coming and you have no background, no medical background. I, I, I have none. Assume I have none. I have <laughs> okay, none. Go I'll right ahead. And keep, right keep assuming. Here. Keep assuming. You're, you're on the money. Right. It's quite but a, yeah. if, you, if you pick up a thick medical text, you can read the words, but mm-hmm. you, you're not going to understand it because you don't have the background knowledge. Well, think of what would be the equivalent with, for a child. They need to have the background knowledge, almost to have the Velcro in their brain so that, they, that it sticks. And so background knowledge is very important. And talking about, uh, I remember, that reminds me of our ways to talk about background knowledge. The second thing that I would say is the importance of visualizing our mental images. If so that's children, the second key, right, Susan? The se- I just yes. want to say the first was background knowledge, so the second is this one it's that you're making reference images to, right? Or, or visualizing, yes, because okay. if a child is reading, just about anything, and it's a gray screen in front of them. They're not seeing any um, action on the screen, and I really liken it to creating a movie in your mind. If you're not creating that movie in your mind, there's a good chance you're never going to like reading. So you you need to be doing that. So I have two two questions based on the first two. One with background knowledge, in, in, in Shutdown Learner, I use the example of child A. You know, let's just say they're, they're both, child A and child B are both reading about Alaska. And in mm-hmm. chi- child A's mind, when the teacher says we're going to be reading about Alaska, all of a sudden she starts to conjure up the Eskimos and it's a snowy region mm-hmm. and things start coming up in her mind. But in mm-hmm. child B, who has, let's just say, 
a limited background knowledge, maybe a limited experience, maybe lower socioeconomic group, I don't know, nothing comes up. You know, let's mm-hmm. just say they, they never really heard of Alaska mm-hmm. and don't know what, that it's a state, and, you know, truly know not, knows nothing. What right, do you do then? right. Right. Then I think you have to actively build that background knowledge for that child and for that story, so, for that for that specific. For that story. Yes, and now we do have incredible resources at our touch with the internet. And okay. you can get up a picture of things, you could get up a a picture of the Brooks Range or of Denali or of of Eskimos or you can Take them there. What is snow? If you've got kids from Florida, they've never seen snow. So you you really need to build that background knowledge so, so that they t- they can yeah. understand. So my takeaway would be that if I'm a teacher or even a parent, and I and I'm about to have the child and they're reading the, a story or a book on Alaska, you can't. Well, of course, you have if you have multiple kids in front of you, it's a lot harder. But you have mm-hmm. to at least have that conversation pre-reading conversation so enough kids can get on board and not make an assumption Mm -hmm. that they know Mm -hmm. what Alaska is or what's going on up in that region of the world. That's exactly right. Now, when it's just a parent with a child, then it can be a very comfortable, casual conversation about what Alaska, if it's a teacher in a classroom, it's probably going to be a little bit more formal, trying to get a sense. And sometimes you have resident experts in a classroom. So you might have this child who knows quite a bit about Alaska, who might have lived there. You know what I'm saying? So you want to tap in to what you've got in your right in front of you. And and the second question to the second point was about the visualizing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let's just say, you know, much of reading is going to be, say, nonfiction, kind of dry stuff, maybe textbook reading, mm-hmm. science, or, mm-hmm. you know, it's not the most mm-hmm. compelling of writing. I mean, to me, visualizing lends itself very nicely to the movie you're creating in your mind mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. stories. Mm-hmm. Well, what mm-hmm. if it's not mm-hmm. a story? What do you do well, there? Well, you know, it's interesting because math teachers, um, if you ha- have a word problem in math, you really are creating mm-hmm. a visual Correct. of that. Yeah. And right. having the children write that out, draw that out, draw a picture of it, can really show if they're understanding what the math problem is or if they're way off base. So they really can do that. Now, there are some things where... If you aren't getting a strong visual image for, if you're in a in a psychology textbook or something, maybe you're not getting a strong visual image, then you may pull on some of the other strategies. So if there's one where you say, ooh, I just can't pull out a visual image here or a, a broad mental image, then you might say, but I've got a lot of questions. So you can move on to other ones and and work with them to have a very interactive engagement with what you're reading. Does that Boy, make sense to you? Yeah, it does make sense. And, I, you know, so many of the kids that I have seen have tremendous difficulty with math word problems. And I think if you're mm-hmm. listening out there and your child is one of those types, I want to reinforce what Susan just said. I think it's a great strategy. I want to, you know, expand on it just a little. That, in a sense, what, what Susan, I think you're saying is that Every math word problem is in its sense is in a sense its own little story it is and exactly. and if you could get the story, you might mm-hmm. you're kind of on the road at least to solving the math problem mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? Yeah. I think, that's a great I way to put it, accurate. Susan. That's mm-hmm. a really an interesting. I'm going to use that. With my, I'm going to, I'll give you credit, I promise. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. But it's a great way to think about it. I've never, I've never, I've talked about imagery with parents before about math word problems, but I've never really put it in those terms that it's each one in a sense represents a little tiny nugget of a story. Mm-hmm. And kids have a lot of fun just drawing the picture of it. Really. Yeah. What's the story? Draw a picture. If they yeah. can draw it, and um, and they're correct, they've got it right. They're much closer to understanding how to solve the math problem. Yeah, and so many of the kids. That's what the theme of shutdown learner is. That, is that is that these are people who are more visual by nature. You know, they're the kids that do well on on tasks like block design uh-huh. and spatial thinking. Uh-huh. So that's uh-huh. I call them Lego kids in the book. So that whole population, they're not as great verbally in terms of test, you know, on the whisk or things like that, but they're uh-huh. very visually based kids. So if you can get those kids to somehow tap into that side of them and really, um, you know, it, it, it amplify their their personal strength, which I think is what you're suggesting, that's yes. a great way to go. Yes, good. So what's what's number three? Number three is questioning, asking questions as you read. So that you're asking questions of the text. And what I like to think about, and this is a wonderful thing to do as a parent with your child as you're reading with them, um, is to say, say, boy, I wonder, I wonder about this. Um, and so you're, you're, by saying, I wonder, you're asking a question. And children are good wonderers. There is so much wonder in the world. So it's a way of of getting them to start that process that really is interactive. Sometimes their questions are going to be answered as they move further into whatever they're reading. Sometimes they're bigger questions like I wonder why there's evil in the world. You know, they're they're bigger things, but the point is they're by asking questions, they go deeper in the text, and it helps them come to the making meaning. Yeah, I, wow. Uh, for these, are, if you're listening out there, these are great points. You know, using that as a strategy. I the I wonder. I also would think that things like just asking kids, well, what do you think, right? And exactly. what, you know, what do you think? What do you think is going mm-hmm. to happen? I also try to mm-hmm. use this. You probably do as well. You know, so many of the kids that I've seen are disconnected and sort of bored in their class. Now, I'm mm-hmm. not exactly mm-hmm. talking about reading right mm-hmm. now, but they're just, mm-hmm. you know, they're sitting there kind of, you know, disconnected, the light bulb's off. And I try to push them to say, look, if you can come up with three questions while you're sitting there, that might light, light you up a little bit. That might just get you a little more activated in that classroom. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same exact process that you, you're, you're talking mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. I think too, if um, if we can have more discussion in our classrooms, so you don't have the idea of the teacher being the sage on the stage, but yeah. the teacher being the guide on the side. So we're eliciting more from the students, so they feel that they are real participants and that their ideas are valued. We are really listening. The, the adults are really listening to them for right. both parents and, and, and teachers. Right, you're getting their view. Well, what do you do when a kid gives you an answer 
there's not a right or wrong. Let's. I know you're going to be talking about mm-hmm. inferencing in a minute, but mm-hmm. what what do you do when a child gives you a an answer that is truly not grounded in the text? You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's just it's tr- off the wall. Truly far afield. What do you do well, with that? Well, I try to pull them back to the text, and I I would say something like, "Oh, that's interesting. Now show me where do you get that." And so pull them back to the text, and sometimes they will self-correct. Then they'll say, "Oh." I read that wrong, and that and every now and then it's something brilliant that that you haven't seen, and then you pull them back and say, "Okay, now I understand why you thought that." But I think it's very important to keep pulling them back to the text, especially when they're way off in left field somewhere. Just pull right. them back. So always grounded. be yeah. yes, always and always be that being very respectful of them. Right, you could say something like that's a really interesting opinion, but let's see what the you know ha- let's try to find some of the evidence or you yes. know that kind of that uh-huh. kind of yes, yes. Them back. exactly uh-huh. Uh-huh. um the next point well, inference, and that's an interesting one in in the old days, we would call it uh reading between the lines, and right. you know you'd look there and you'd say, "Oh, there's nothing there, but it really is reading between the lines, and what I think about with inference is you have clues as you read, and the clues go way beyond the literal. And I think of for a child, children are very good at inference. If if their mom comes in after work with a frown on her face, they know that it's probably been a bad day. They're inferring it before she says a word. So mm-hmm. there are a lot of different things that we make inferences in throughout our day and in our lives. And we need to have children understand that as you read, of course, you're going to be making a lot of inferences. Um, you you need to not just be at the literal level. If you're just at the literal level, you're missing a great deal of what you read. Not always, because some things are written at a very literal level. But as you uh, develop as a reader and as you get harder materials, you need to have that inference um, ability really going well. And, and again, I say, well, what is your clue for that? Why why do you think that? And pull them back to to the text to talk about it. So the questioning leads to the inference, right? That's, that's what so. kind of guides mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. that process mm-hmm. through. I'm just going to comment for a real fast second. Hopefully this is going to go past the half-hour mark. I believe mm-hmm. the show is set up for mm-hmm. a half-hour, but mm-hmm. we're going to go a few minutes longer. Hopefully yes, when people listen to this out there, they're going to hear for another five to maybe ten minutes at the most. Um, I believe we are still recording, hopefully, because I know you have more things to tell us. Um, what would be your next point? Well, de- determining importance if you have children who read everything and give the same amount of weight to every word, um, they're not differentiating what's important from what's not important. And that can be a real problem as a reader. And what is important depends on your purpose for reading. So if you're reading something and you're going to be giving a presentation in your classroom, you're going to read it differently than if you're reading um, a book before you go to bed, where you don't have to read it in that careful way. So, But being able to say, uh, if you're doing something on the Civil War, for example, looking for specific reasons as to what caused the Civil War, that would be how you would be reading, say, okay, I'm going to keep that 
that um, sort of driving point in my mind as I read, and I'm going to find those things that are important for giving me more clarity around that particular point. So determining importance is key. And I'm going to go on with the other ones, if that's okay, Richard, just so we cover them. The next one would be synthesis, and that's where you pull everything together. And that is really using all of the strategies to get to the what does it mean to you? What do you take away from what you read? Can you give me in a nutshell, what's the gist of this? I'd say that's how you could talk about synthesis. And then the last one is what we call fix-up. So being able to identify if there's a word, if there's a sentence, if there's a concept that you don't understand, being aware of when you don't understand so you can do something about it. Because if a child doesn't know that they don't know, they can't do anything about it. So being able to say, whoops, I understood until this word, and then that word threw me for a loop. So that's a fix-up. It's sort of like how do I back up a little bit, fix it up, or or check my understanding. Exactly, exactly. So these are great, great strategies, great reminders, and and I love that that it's encouraging parents to think this way. At some point, what's the role? Do you think there's a role that parents need to say to themselves, okay, look, I, I, I've done these things, but um, I know that there's a, a tutor or a learning therapist, a teacher in the community who's much more skilled in these. Do you find sure. what, how, what's the role of that type well, of person? Well, I think um, that sometimes just it's the nature of the parent child relationship. Children do better with people other than their parents, and that can be oh, really? a tutor. You know, that can be hmm. a that can be a librarian, that. that can be a teacher. Yeah. So you just want to find what works best for your child, and that is so individual. But um, I think that for for younger children, there's a lot that parents can do to create the right environment around reading as something that's very positive that is um, enjoyable for the child, that is just plain fun. And if, when they're young, that can be instilled in them, then a lot of the problems down the road will be avoided. That said, there you never know what's going to happen during the teen years, and um, it can be very, very helpful for a child to be working with someone else and, and hopefully someone that they really like and can um, get a great deal from. How, how do you feel about um, you know, when, when children, let's just say, have trouble in dyslexia, reading disabilities, and they have trouble with the text at the lower mm-hmm. levels, but mm-hmm. you know they, they might use something like uh, an assistive technology, a text-to-speech. Mm-hmm. It seems mm-hmm. to me that as long as it, it's, a, you know, I know Ben Foss calls it ear reading. You know, it's ear and mm-hmm. eye reading. So I, I'm mm-hmm. sure you would have no problem mm-hmm. with it per se, right? Mm-hmm. No, and I think um, books on tape can be great for kids. I think it's not something, and I'm not an expert in dyslexia or learning disabilities, so so please, I, I don't have the background that you have, Richard, in this, but if there are things that are going to reinforce their visual reading by listening, great. Um, whatever it is that's going to be building their their foundation in language will help them as readers, and 
So I think you want to try a lot of different approaches and find the one that, the ones that work best for the individual child. Well, you've been a great guest, as I knew you would be, and I just want to echo a couple of the points. Tie in, you could, you know, add more chime in on any of these. Making it fun, having parents making it fun, building building background knowledge, the the concept of the Velcro in the brain, which I think mm-hmm. allows these things to stick, and visualizing and the importance of that. Um, I love the math word problem idea of, of um, picturing it and, and trying to draw a map or map out the story and draw it. The questioning, you know, encouraging, you know, questions, the, the I wonder approach mm-hmm. and what do you think. Um, so many of these ideas. Uh, any any last minute ones you want to add to it, just to kind of I think leave parents I with think one or two. We we've gotten a, we've done a great little synopsis here, and you just did a great little synopsis. I do think having print available, having things around the house that are available. Again, there's a lot now that can be done on computers, but having uh, print around so they start realizing oh this this print's important and never underestimate how what a role model you are as a parent so your child I hate it I hate to do read. it to you but I have one more question I still let you get you you just activated one more what about vocabulary because I have always felt that mm-hmm. vocabulary is so cornerstone to comprehension and what's your view mm-hmm. of either developing the vocabulary or well, its role you know, there's that, that line, the more you read, the better you get, the better you get, the more you read. Right, and right. I do think the more you read, the more you develop that vocabulary. It, it really is that um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a virtuous circle that yeah. as you yeah. read, you develop that vocabulary. As you talk, you develop that vocabulary. And as you read more, your vocabulary will expand. I think that vocabulary where the words are in context, that's best. Rather than a, a isolated list of vocabulary words, much better to take the the challenging words from what the child is working on, pull them out so that they're learning them in context. Once again, the book, Susan Zimmerman's book, is The Seven Keys to Comprehension, How to Help Your Kids Read It and Get It. It's been out for a while, but it still is fresh as when it first came out. Um, Susan, is there a website that you wanted? To, we'd like to have people learn more. You know, about my you website and... is yes. It's just www.susanzimmerman with a double n on the end of Zimmerman. Z i m m a n n at mm-hmm. um, Comcast. I'm sorry. www.susanzimmerman.com. That's it. Dot com. Great. Yes. And she's a she's a great speaker. I know she's. She's been around the world, and if you would like to have her at your school, I'm sure you can. she'd be happy to oblige. So thank you, Susan, and thank you to our sponsors, and thank you to for listening to the show. And my website, once again, is shutdownlearner.com. That's all one word, shutdownlearner.com. And thank you once again, and good night. Good night, Susan. Good night. Take care. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry. 
sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.